Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.09 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 12th of November, 2020. This is episode 320 of Bitcoin. And we're going to start this one with BitcoinWallet.Guide. This is from uh, Bitcoin Q and A, that's Bitcoin Q underscore A on Twitter says, please to announce the launch of BitcoinWallet.Guide, a site to help newcomers compare the differences between the most common Bitcoin wallets around today. I've included links to set up videos, uh, documentation pages, code repos, and support channels. So uh, <clears throat> Bitcoin Q&A is a uh, real good account to follow, uh, real knowledgeable, also very, honestly, pretty damn helpful when you reach out and ask for help. Uh, Let's see what that BitcoinWallet.guide actually says here. Uh, Bitcoin Wallet Guide, not your keys, not your coins. That's the very first thing it starts with. And we've got stuff for mobile desktop hardware lightning uh there's a nice little definition here of what a bitcoin wallet actually is <clears throat> and then he goes down it's like um let's see here feet like things like this feature criteria for feature consideration in this guide a wallet must meet these base criteria <clears throat> must be non-custodial <clears throat> be open source be actively maintained be Bitcoin only or offer Bitcoin only firmware. So no shit coinery here. Considerations when choosing which type of wallet you want to use. There are a few things you should consider. Number one, can you connect the wallet to your own node? And then node is a link to talk about nodes. Is the wallet available on your chosen platform? How easy is the wallet to use? Does the wallet run over Tor? Does the wallet support PSBTs or partially signed Bitcoin transactions and PSBT is a link to talk about stuff in PSBTs. Do you require access to the Lightning Network? Again, Lightning Network is a link. Does the wallet offer coin control? Again, coin control is a link. Does the wallet support CoinJoin? CoinJoin is a link. And then he goes into types of wallets. There's mobile wallets and desktop wallets and hardware wallets and each one of these like desktop wallets, for instance, Bitcoin Core, Blockstream Green, Blue Wallet, Electrum, Fully Noted, Lily Wallet, Spectre Desktop, Sparrow Wallet, Wasabi Wallet. All those are links. And if I click any one of them, and I just click on, click on Lily Wallet, just for shits and giggles, where does it take me? Well, it takes me to lily.kevinmulcrony.com. And over here on Lily Wallet, it says the easiest way to secure and manage your Bitcoin. And it basically is taking me to the Lily Wallet website. So any any type, any time that one of these things uh, comes out like a guide or an edu- you know, some kind of education piece, I like to feature it up front so that you guys know that it's out there. One of the one of the things that's being built out the hardest in the Bitcoin space is the education side of everything. <clears throat> And that's critical and it's going to remain critical and it's never going to not be critical. Okay. So just be aware. 
Now, the news. Let's start with old man yelling at Bitcoin. And this is a diff- yet a different old man. Governments will outlaw Bitcoin, says Bridgewater's Ray Dalio. Yeah. Matthew DeSalvo, writing this one yesterday for Decrypt.co, says... Bitcoin isn't a good alternative asset because governments will eventually outlaw it, according to billionaire investor Ray Dalio. Yeah, Ray, you better hope, because otherwise all your shit goes down the toilet. The biggest cryptocurrency by market cap is also problematic because of its volatility and inability to spend it on everyday goods. (gasps) We call that adoption, and it takes time. Dalio said in an interview with Yahoo Finance over the weekend, yeah, he was talking with Yahoo Finance. I love Yahoo Finance. It's like you get a bunch of Yahoos on there, man. Honestly, it's the only thing from Yahoo that seems to have actually survived is Yahoo Finance. I, I don't know why. Seems very odd. Dalio, who runs the world's biggest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates, said in the interview that he instead expects the world to increasingly turn to central bank digital currencies such as a digitized U.S. dollar, euro, or remimbi. They're all digital anyway. Quote, theoretically, Bitcoin is good, but there are three basic things that currency has to be. To be an effective medium of exchange, a storehold of wealth, and the government wants control over it. Mm. Dalio said, outlining problems with Bitcoin, to quote, I today cannot take my Bitcoin yet and buy things easily with it. It's because you're not trying, Ray. Dalio said, Bitcoin is so volatile and this prevents it being useful as a storehold of wealth. He then added that governments will eventually outlaw Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. All 190 countries around the world are going to get together, sing Kumbaya by a fire, drop all of their cares, worries, and little, you know, picadellos that they have with each other, and all come together under the sun, holding hands, outlawing Bitcoin. Not bloody likely. Quote, <clears throat> and they'll use whatever teeth they have to enforce that. They'll say, you can't transact a Bitcoin. You can't have it, he said. Then you'd have to be like, it's a felony. Am I going to be a felon? They outlawed gold. I wouldn't prefer Bitcoin to gold. Okay. They outlawed gold, but you wouldn't prefer Bitcoin to gold. You see, already see where the flaws are starting to come up here? Because they did outlaw gold. He likes gold, but yet the government outlawed gold. But now it's not outlawed. It's just b- bizarre the way these the minds of these people in the old guard. It's bizarre how the gears in their head turn. Seemingly, they seem to be able to drive a machine in the same direction, but grind against each other internally, and it's bizarre to watch. This isn't the first time Dalio has criticized Bitcoin and praised gold, again, which was outlawed, and then wasn't outlawed. Keep that in mind, guys. In January, the investor said that the cryptocurrency was too volatile, but said everyone should have some gold in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. He also showed interest in Facebook's Libra. His comments come at a time when institutional investors are showing more interest in the cryptocurrency, which is partly responsible for the explosion in Bitcoin's price, according to market analysts. Dalio's key to a successful portfolio, he told Yahoo Finance, is to diversify, diversify, diversify. Evidently, though, that diversity doesn't necessarily extend to Bitcoin, according to the billionaire investor. You know, you're going to have to take this shit where, you know, you're going to have to take this where you can, all right? People like Ray Dalio were very, very successful in their time and will continue to be because the legacy markets still are not dead. However, people like this understood how the markets worked in a way that is not written in textbooks, 
It is not put into Bloomberg, uh, you know, articles. You're never going to know what Ray Dalio knows about the internal workings of the market because you're not part of the club, right? Ray Dalio is part of the club. <clears throat> Ray Dalio has every bit of a vested interest in telling you how it is that governments are going to outlaw Bitcoin. Because apparently Ray Dalio knows the minds of all the world's countries, all 195 of them, according to Wikipedia at this time. There have been as many as 200. There has been as few as 150. But there's always been a lot. And none of them agree on the same thing at the same time. So, good luck, Ray. U.S. representatives ripped the OCC, Brooks, for excessive focus on crypto. <laughs> OCC, of course, is the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency for the United States. Several U.S. lawmakers are displeased by the OCC and its focus on crypto and fintech during a pandemic-caused recession. Danny Nelson, tell us all about it from Coindesk. Six members of Congress faulted the banking regulator's stance on crypto custody and stablecoin services, as well as its plans to offer a fintech charter in a sharply worded letter. Oh, God, those sharply worded letters from Congress. Oh, my Tuesday that questioned whether acting comptroller Brian Brooks has his priorities straight during COVID-19's health and economic crisis. <laughs> Jesus Christ, these people. Brooks has no business bolstering crypto banking while millions of Americans are still waiting for economic relief, wrote Rep Representatives Rashida Talib or Tlaib or whatever, that idiot, and Stephen Lynch in a letter co-signed by Deb Holland, Ayana Presley, Jesus Garcia and Barbara Lee. These are all Democrats, by the way. All Democrats. Not that Republicans are going to be any better about this shit, though, but whatever. They blasted OCC's unilateral actions as short-sighted calls they said could put the entire hierarchy of dollar-denominated financial assets at risk. Okay? They're, yeah, it, it start, it's starting to sink in. The OCC plays an important role in providing stable forms of currency. However, the decisions of your agency have the potential to adversely affect banking and financial activities well beyond your jurisdiction, they wrote. Ooh, getting out of the wheelhouse, bitches. The letter appears to be the first substantial congressional critique of a financial regulator that has indeed thrown its weight behind cryptocurrencies. In July, OCC gave national banks the go-ahead to custody assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, God forbid, for their clients. <clears throat> then, in September... The agency allowed banks to begin offering stablecoin issuers banking services. Those twin decisions could take crypto banking mainstream in the United States. But according to the lawmakers, they're not OCC's calls to unilaterally make. The castigated Brooks, a former Coinbase lawyer for, for, for failing to consult with Congress and other agencies on his crypto regulations first. <laughs> well, then don't build those offices. Quote, we also question whether this is an appropriate priority for the OCC in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> Cryptocurrency should not take precedence over America's systemic banking access issues, the representatives wrote. Around 8% of Americans use cryptocurrency, but a combined 25% of their fellow citizens are either unbanked or underbanked. Yeah, that's why we're here, pals. Their shaky financials are, <clears throat> their shaky financials are deteriorating further amidst the pandemic, representatives said. And quote, arguably the immediate needs of millions of at-risk individuals 
who have yet not yet received an economic stimulus check or cannot deposit their funds in a bank deserve greater attention than an effort to increase financial or to increase access to financial services to the bank community via mobile phones they wrote they clearly don't understand what's going on Wow. The representatives asked that Brooks explain OCC's stance on stablecoin regulation and consumer protection by December the 10th. Wednesday's letter isn't the first asking Brooks or isn't the first asking Brooks to explain himself. Here we go. Here's the Republicans. Senator Mike Crapo, <laughs> chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, wrote to Brooks in September asking him to update the committee with the OCC's findings and detail the next steps the regulatory agency would be taking. Crapo also called for clear regulations to be drafted around cryptocurrency services in the letter. Now, this was a letter, uh, I, I can't remember, let's see who signed this one. I'm looking at the actual letter here. Yeah, this is the letter that was signed that was talking about at the very head of the, the article, Barbara Lee, Ayanna Presley, Tlaibe, uh, Stephen Lynch, Dan, all those guys. So <clears throat> let's just read just a little bit of it. <clears throat> we write to raise concerns regarding the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency's recent unilateral actions in the digital activity space. In just the past few months, the OCC has released interpretive letters on cryptocurrency custody and stablecoins and announced plans to start offering special purpose payment charters. Given the limited statutory authority of the OCC, actually it says the number one OCC, so I wonder if that's a typo in the original letter. We urge the comptroller to seriously reconsider the implications of a unilateral approach and instead invite the OCC to collaborate with other regulators and Congress upon these issues. And then they go on to, oh, I love this one. Check this one out. Further, during and after the height of the financial crisis between 2008 and 2018, 18 African-American-owned banks, 18 Hispanic-owned banks, 26 Asian-American-owned banks, and three Native American-owned banks, uh, and one multicultural bank have closed or merged with other banks. These 66 minority bank closures represent 30% of all minority. They're going, they're pulling race in the middle of this letter. I don't even know why. It, this has absolutely nothing to do with the, pan, with the pandemic. And that whole thing about them being concerned about being a, like, like, I don't know, not, what did they say up at the front? Hold on for, let me look at this thing. They said, uh, let's see, uh, that they don't want uh, Brooks to be talking about, uh, or they, they want Brooks to be concerned about the pandemic and what the OCC is going to do about people that have not gotten their stimulus checks. That's not the OCC's call. The OCC has nothing to do with writing stimulus checks, okay? That's Congress approving a bill. And then that's the Treasury Department writing the checks. <clears throat> that's the United States Postal Service mailing said checks or the Treasury Department depositing said checks into bank accounts. Okay. That's the fact that somebody can't get that check is not the OCC's call. That's, that's something else. That's actually probably Congress at that point. So they're literally pissing up a rope while they're barking up the wrong tree. So I'm so glad that my United States representatives know the system so well that they can completely fail in everything that they do. Ex-CIA analyst says Beijing blockchain network may spark Chinese net dominance. <gasps> Could it be? 
could it be that blockchain or whatever has some something more behind it than just money? It, well, first of all, it does. But by the way, only Bitcoin matters. But uh, Jaslaw Adamowski is going to talk to us t about it for uh, CryptoNews.com. And it says the Chinese Blockchain Service Network, or the BSN, already active in all major Middle Kingdom cities and continuing to add interoperability options could pose a major threat to America's dominance in the digital realm, said a security expert and former CIA official, raising questions over the project's possible implications for the crypto sector. The opinions were put forward by Yaya Fanusi, an adjunct senior fellow at the Center for a New American Security, or CNAS, think tank in Washington, D.C., in a recent analysis piece for Lawfare, or yeah, Lawfare, uh, Fanusi claimed that while the BSN is being touted as a system of low-cost back-end architecture on which software developers around the world can build blockchain applications, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrency, it is also seen as a tool that will serve the core cyber policy interests of the Chinese Communist Party. Fanusi claimed that the American financial authorities, quote, have benefited from the ubiquity of U.S. computer infrastructure and global businesses, but thinks that the BSN is trying to challenge that norm. He wrote, quote, the CCP leadership believes that blockchain technology offers a foundational infrastructure for future technological innovation and that China should set the global standards in that arena. To begin doing so, China is inviting blockchain developers to build decentralized software applications on the BSN's Chinese-run servers, even though some of the servers are located outside of China, end quote. The network is overseen by an entity under the National Development of and Reform Commission, <clears throat> one of the government agencies responsible for China's macroeconomic planning. And while the former CIA official stated that America may not feel the effects of the BSN's successful full-on, its existence is indicative of a new approach from Beijing in the struggle between the two powerful nations. He wrote, quote, the BSN is not going to upend the United States domination of the Internet anytime soon, but it indicates a new and sensible Chinese strategy. The good news is that while Chinese, China's blockchain Internet is in its infancy, <clears throat> the U.S. has time to follow its development and respond accordingly, end quote. But there could be pressing dangers ahead for the United States and its allies, he warned. Fanusi opined that the BSN, quote, could undermine movements for human rights and political freedoms and added that much of the blockchain developer community has strong libertarian leanings, promoting decentralized applications as means for censorship resistance and to fund protests against authoritarianism and state brutality, end quote. It is an irony, he added, that the BSN's decentralization effort is authoritarian-owned. <laughs> the analysts caution that the elusiveness of global blockchain adoption is exactly why China's strategy deserves attention. He elaborated on this point, writing, quote, The BSN is trying to significantly reduce the input cost of blockchain development, which would increase cost savings and help keep blockchain projects alive as they seek users and profitability, end quote. And Fanusi believes that China's outsized role in BTC mining, or Bitcoin mining, may have taught its leaders a thing or two. He said, quote, Chinese computer processing companies dominate the Bitcoin mining industry largely because they operate in Chinese provinces where hydroelectricity is cheap, allowing them to sustain wider profit margins even when Bitcoin's volatile price drops, end quote. Fanusi concluded 
that American decision makers should, quote, watch out for the BSN's potential to hinder future investigations and enforcement actions relating to digital currencies. Set up in 2007, CNAS specializes in national security issues and claims to be a bipartisan group that develops policy solution for the American political mainstream. So, blockchain wars? I don't know. But, you know, a thought struck me that while the U.S. Congress and people are like Ray Dalio are, are talking about, you know, governments around the world outlying Bitcoin. Um, I wonder if they're looking at this and saying, see, you know, we're just all we have to do is wait on China to, uh, you know, screw this all up and, and we don't have to worry about it. And I don't think China has any intention on screwing this up, honestly. And I think it's gonna be, it would probably behoove uh, the United States government to get off their ass and start bitching about this and end up with some kind of, you know, I don't know, federal stance on Bitcoin so that it's not illegal but useful in the economy. Because if they do screw this up and China and other countries do move ahead and they end up being way, way ahead of the curve in Bitcoin in the United States, well, you know, then the U.S. has problems. It just does. And that's kind of, I don't know, man, that's whatever. But again, we don't really, we're not going to worry, worry, worry about it right now because at this point, the hash rate has rebounded completely, apparently. But it is Asian miners. So Bitcoin hash rate rebounds as Asian miners bring machines back online. This was yesterday, written by Zach Vole for Coindesk.com. Uh, Bitcoin's mining difficulty registered a record-setting percentage decrease on November the 3rd, the largest since the advent of ASIC miners as Bitcoin miners shuffled their machines around the globe to access cheaper power, causing the network's hash rate to drop considerably <clears throat> to, or rather, a large percentage of all machines taken offline through the end of October are back online, said Alejandro de la Torre, vice president at Poulin, in a direct message with Coindesk Wednesday. There are, of course, some that may take longer, he added, but most of the relocation processes, typically a brief two-week period, are finished. For most miners, the migration process is not very difficult, said Ether, or Ethan Vera, co-founder of Seattle-based mining company Luxor Tech. In a conversation with Coindesk about miners migrating from Sichuan to Inner Mongolia, Zhejiang, and other regions, quote, most miners can unrack, drive them over, and reinstall in less than... Two weeks, miners returned to Inner Mongolia, Zhejiang, Tibet, and other regions to tap into fossil fuel, wind, and geothermal power sources in those regions, De La Torre explained. But this year's miner migration is different from previous years. According to Vera, some Chinese miners have decided to move out of China altogether. He named Iran, Kazakhstan, and Venezuela as popular low-cost mining destinations. The Chinese are getting very comfortable with hosting their miners in Iran and Kazakhstan, with local partners, Vera told Coindesk. The rapid increase in hash rate should continue over the next couple of weeks, said Kuifei Li, CMO at CF2 Pool. Quote, most of the rigs are back online, but not all of them, Li said, noting that he expects more hash power to return since some rigs are in transit or still offline. The returning hash power is helping to clean out Bitcoin's previously congested mempool, a sort of holding depot for transactions awaiting confirmation by miners. The volume of transactions filling the mempool near two-year highs on October the 28th, reaching the highest unconfirmed transaction count since January of 2018. Following the return of hash power, mempool transaction count has returned to somewhat normal levels through earlier no- early November. 
A positive difficulty adjustment is expected as the network reacts to the surge in temporarily inactive hash power, said Dilator. Estimated to happen on November the 16th, the increase would start the network's rebound following the record-setting difficulty drop two weeks prior on November the 3rd. At the current block pace, the adjustment is expected to be above 6% via told Coindesk, but he thinks it's likely to reach an increase of more than 8%. You know what's real interesting about this entire thing? <clears throat> the Chinese miners take their shit down and take it offline to go from the rainy season to inner Mongolia, and that takes almost exactly two weeks, which is exactly the, the difficulty adjustment period for, for Bitcoin. I, I mean, I don't. I wonder if they actually time that where it's like right after the difficulty drop, they just unplug, unrack, pull everything, drive it over the mountains, and set it back up. And by the time they set it back up, it's just about time for a difficulty adjustment. And then they flip them all on while you've got a really, right before the difficulty adjustment, right when it's still really, really low, and then just burn through as many blocks as they can possibly burn through. I, wonder, I will bet you that they do that. I, I, I almost guarantee it. So anyway, hash rate back to where it should be. The Russian ministry wants to jail citizens who don't declare their Bitcoin earnings. Tim Alper going to tell us about it from CryptoNews.com. An expert has claimed that the Russian military ministry of finances plans to hit crypto holders with jail time if they fail to declare their earnings may be misguided, you think? And said that while dirty crypto deals regularly go through unchecked in the country's capital, the Kremlin may seek to punish ordinary crypto traders in their stead. Per RBC, the ministry is set to double down on its plans to criminalize Non-declaration of crypto earnings announced earlier this year with offenders facing up to three years behind bars if they fail to report transactions worth a total of $586,000 U.S. or above to the tax authorities at least twice every three years. But the EXMO crypto exchange's head of development, Maria Stenkovich, claims that the ministry may be going after the wrong target. Target, quote, we don't see any criminal liabilities for the dark crypto market or the cash exchangers in Moscow that are still processing large amounts of, quote, dirty crypto. Basically, what the government is trying to do is prosecute citizens instead of creating solid regulations that would keep bad market players in check, end quote. She added that she doubts the law will work effectively, claiming that there is nobody in the Duma who actually understands how the market operates or how to make money from it. Failure to report smaller amounts will be punishable with fines. Under the ministry's new measures and the new proposals will also require exchanges and crypto miners in the country to submit all transaction details to a government regulator. Stankovich concluded, quote, unfortunately, we have a proverb in Russia. The, fair, the severity of the law is compensated by the laxity of its enforcement. Man, that's got to be a Dostoevsky thing, man. Dude, shit. Let's run the numbers. Looking into the future at futures and commodities from CNBC.com, I see oil is down half a point, both for West Texas Intermediate and Brent. Uh, natural gas is down a third. Uh, gold is up, uh, I don't know, a third. Yeah, gold is up a third, but it's still under 1900 It's $1,868.80. Uh, all the metals are up. Uh, but mostly meh. Platinum is up a third. Copper is up a third. Palladium, however, is up a full point. What are the indices doing? Uh, yes, Dow futures are down a little bit more than a half. 
S&P futures are down a third. NASDAQ futures, meh. S&P mini is down like 60, you know, I don't know, 0.6% or something like that. So it's pretty much going to, looks like it might be a med day on Wall Street. Bitcoin is at $15,799. We have a high over at BitAsset, is it? Oh, no, it's going to be at uh, GDAX. 15,862. No, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, it's $15,862. So it looks like 15,799 is our low. 314,500 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is about 13,100 transactions on average per hour with 2.2 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That is 92,951 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average. The average transaction value is 7 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.038 BTC. That's about $600. Block time's fairly low, 9 minutes and 36 seconds. We have 0.69 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 101.5 BTC being taken overall in the last 24 hours. We have a half a percent drop in the hash rate according to bitinfocharts.com. And we are down to 122.8 exahashes per second. All the shit coins for you, for you barbecue heads. I'm just going to give it a big meh, but I'm going to do Dogecoin because it's at 0.0028. That's 36,800 transactions in the last 24 hours. That puts it ahead of Ethereum Classic and Bcash. Ooh, Bcash. We got some Bcash news later on. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know you hate shit coins, but I like, I, I, I want to keep an eye on them just simply because the train wrecks that are available watching these things is something that I can, I just cannot miss. It's like pulling out a chair, cracking a beer, sitting down and watching a slow-moving train wreck. Clark Moody has a price of $15,878. We have a money supply of uh, 18,541,081.65 BTC in, in supply. Nine blocks are going to need to clear to get rid of 13,355 transactions. There is uh, 528.89 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That is 51% now belonging to Tor. Wow, 51% of the Tor of, of the Lightning Network now belongs to Tor, and it belongs to it th- via 2,549 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze you can use. Uh, we have Coindesk's, ooh, Coindesk's, oh, oh, Ian Allison is writing this one. Uh, be prepared, shit coinery ahead. But I love this one because it's like, you know, people were bitching about the fact that they had to lock their Ethereum up into Ethereum 2.0 for like, a, I think it was like a two-year contract. So they fixed it. You're going to love how they fixed it. Ethereum heavyweights launched liquid stake loans to ease Ethereum 2.0, quote, lockup. <laughs> Announced Wednesday, Liquid Stake, which is a ripoff of the Liquid sidechain name. Actually, that's not what it says. Whatever. Which is being launched by crypto trading firm Dharma Capital will allow Ether stakers to take out USDC stablecoin loans against their staked assets while earning staking rewards from the new network. <clears throat> In addition, U.S. registered investment fund Dharma, founded by former consensus stalwarts Andrew Keyes and James Slazes, 
intends to allocate over $50 million worth of ETH to Ethereum's new deposit contract. Uh, There are obvious economic incentives for participants to take part in Ethereum's evolutionary step. Good God, Zach, stop this shit. Was it? No, wait, this is Ian Allison, not Zach. No wonder he sounds like a suck up. Anyway, um, Ethereum's evolutionary step vis-a-vis staking because they can earn, say, 15% on those assets over the course of however many months it takes the network to complete further upgrades, said Dharma Capital founder Andrew Keyes. Quote, I call it one the one-way street problem, Keyes said. Participants will not be able to, quote, unstake those assets. So we've created liquid stake, wherein users can earn staking rewards and have their staked ETH be pledged as collateral to receive a USDC loan. This is very different from BlockFi and Celsius and other lenders because in those cases, you can't stake the Ether and you can't earn the reward. Good God almighty. Uh... The first phase, phase zero of Ethereum's migration to a proof-of-stake blockchain involves some 16,384 validators, each committing a minimum of 32 ETH in a deposit contract. Uh, on, a, on an aside, they're nowhere close to that shit. Those tokens will then be staked to secure and govern a new parallel Ethereum blockchain known as Beacon, a live environment for test proof-of-stake which will eventually return the staking rewards to those validators. Since the deposit contract went live this week, some 52,000 ETH has been locked up worth $23.8 million. At least uh, 524,288 ETH split between 16,384 stakers is needed to trigger ETH's 2.0 Genesis event and activate the upgrade. So they're, they're they're not close. In, in addition to the staking reward returned to those validators, earning potential can still be derived from those locked up funds. This is exactly the sort of innovation seen springing up everywhere in the decentralized finance field. I'm going to stop right there because I already know that you're puking, right? And if you're, I, if you're just puking because I'm reading something about Ethereum, you're, then you're not listening close enough. What's happening here is that this is a band-aid. We just saw Ethereum fail completely as a network yesterday. Okay, we just saw that shit. Infura goes down the, and everybody runs to the hills. Uh, the exchanges stop withdrawals. I mean, come on. Already, you've got major issues because they ninja launched, the, de- the core development team of Ethereum ninja launched an upgrade and kept every stakeholder in radio silence. And now you've got these guys who are like, hey, I know, I think I've got a way to address the issue of people who don't, who are really bitching about having to lock up their Ethereum into this two-year contract. I don't even know why that exists in the first place, but it does. Let's, let's get wrapped Ethereum. That's what this is. Okay, make no mistake. They're using USDC. But make no mistake, this is all this shit is, is wrapped Ethereum. So you can actually say that there's probably more wrapped Ethereum. Well, actually, you can't say that because there's only a sh- like a very small amount. But it's not, it's not impossible to think that in the future that there may literally be more wrapped Ethereum in Ethereum 2.0 than on the original one, which I know that they're going to say, well, dummy, that's exactly what we want. I- I'm looking at this as a complete and utter bowl of spaghetti. 
where you can't find one end of what, you know, what begins a strand of spaghetti and then pick out the same one on the other end of the bowl because it's just a bowl full of mess. This is a Band-Aid. This is wrapped Ethereum. This is, there. I mean, honestly, what could possibly go wrong, people? But let's talk about Deutsche Bank, who says CBDCs will replace cash. I guess that will make it easier for Deutsche Bank, one of the huge, largest la- money launderers for criminals on the planet, to do e- even easier money laundering. Thomas the M is going to tell us about it from BTC Times. <clears throat> In a report titled The Concept Number 19, What We Must Do to Rebuild, that was published this week, Deutsche Bank listed economic evaluations and proposals to aid global economies hit by the COVID-19 pandemic containing sections related to environmentalism, small business protection, and the radical work-from-home tax. Oh my God, are you serious? (laughs) The work-from-home tax proposal, which got under fire globally, the report further discusses a shift to digital currencies and more specifically central bank digital currencies, citing that cash has has come under much scrutiny during the pandemic due to concerns about virus transmission. Deutsche Bank macro strategist Marion Labua rights of a need to promote digital currencies so as not to fall behind the countries that already do. As China's DC slash EP or the digital currency slash electronic payment um, and Sweden's e-krona pilot programs lead the charge, other countries may find that that if they don't speed up their own development, sorry, (laughs) if they don't speed up their own development, that private sectors will end up using the digital currencies that become available first including the policies attached to them. But development is slower in most developed nations, writes Labour, as many central banks only now beginning to rethink the 17th century cash model and explore CBDCs. In an online panel in October, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell confirmed these assumptions as he delivered little of substance to instill confidence that U.S. citizens will see a CBDC anytime soon. The European Central Bank so far published no more than explorative reports and a survey on the concept of digital euros. Still, the interest is there as the development of a central bank currency has become a race between global leaders with the U.S. currently trailing way behind China. According to a January report by the Bank International Settlements, or rather the the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, 80% of the world's central banks are engaging in some kind of work on CBDCs. Writing, that sooner or later CBDCs will replace cash. Deutsche Bank details that central banks in many developed nations are confronted with a strong affinity towards cash, mostly routed in privacy concerns with digital currencies. <clears throat> Such cultural slash privacy norms must be overcome in the advancement of CBDC development, says Lebois, as a survey conducted by Deutsche Bank found many people believe cash to always be around. CBDCs could help disintermediate the banking system as customers store their money directly at a central bank rather than a private bank. I'm not sure that that's how we're all supposed to be reading this. Uh, I have not read anything about a central bank actually offering direct deposits for the multitude of customers. So I'm not sure about that. This, uh, rather, should this be the case, the global multi-trillion dollar banking sector may be approaching the end of its days, I doubt it. A development bringing with with it drastic financial and economic implications. Now, whether CBDCs will come to life in a form that makes today's banking system unnecessary remains to be seen. In the meantime, some banks can be seen exploring alternatives, 
possibly as a way to establish new revenue streams. In late October, leading Southeast Asian bank DBS published a page on its website elaborating on the establishment of a cryptocurrency exchange that targets institutional customers, which was an accidental release, it turned out, as the bank is still in the process of obtaining the necessary necessary regulatory approvals. But the pre-release may hint that financial services surrounding cryptocurrencies could prove to become a path worth exploring as central banks push to conquer the fiat system. A thought just occurred to me. <clears throat> The, the that DBS bank that accidentally released that page on what they were going to exchange and they had to pull it down because they're like this says still seeking regulatory blah 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 it seems to me that you know that the, this idea that Ray Dalio has about how it's going to be declared illegal is predicated upon the fact that it's easy to make it illegal in his mind because all all they've got to do is go to all the banks and through regulations say make it illegal because that's how they've always done it because a bank has an address and they can go raid that bank and they can go find the homes of the people that are responsible for that bank and they can haul their ass off to jail. And I don't know, they could kidnap their wives and children and hold them hostage, whatever it is that they have to do, because you know, you back up a wild animal, especially one with claws into a corner and they get a little bitchy. Okay. So here's the deal. What happens when 4 billion people don't give a shit? And you really kind of can't find them because they're not really doing things that attach their address to something. Many will, but many won't. They're, and they're not centralized. I mean, four billion people walking around is about as decentralized as it gets. What if they've all got a, a, a mobile phone and a wallet? What if they've all got a burner phone? What if they don't give a shit? What if they're using Locha Net or the Mesh or Mesh Net or Blockstream Satellite or God, any you know ham radio for all that matters? What? What if it is just a, a fog, an absolute fog of transactions that nobody, by the time you look into it, it's almost impossible to parse out who did what with who. This is a much different deal in Bitcoin than having somebody host a CBDC at a central bank and then in turn telling a corner store bank uh, how much they're going to get that day to be able to loan out. All right, it's a completely different deal. So please don't confuse the two. Now, the looming Bitcoin Cash hard fork. Here's what you need to laugh at. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's what you need to know by Alex Lelacher and Shad Fadilpasik. I'm, I know I'm butchering it. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, but this is out of CryptoNews.com. Uh, the Bcash community is slated to initiate yet another hard fork on November the 15th, 2020. Remember, November the 15th. That is in three days. Um, the blockchain split represents the culmination of a series of disagreements and tensions related to proposed changes in the underlying code, as well as the future of Bcash. Find out more why, or about why Bcash, the fifth largest crypto network by market cap, is about to fork and what, can you, what you can expect to happen afterwards. So let's start with the history. Bitcoin Cash, or sorry, Bcash, was created as a result of intense disagreements between members of the BTC, or the actual Bitcoin community. The tensions were primarily centered around proposed changes to Bitcoin's block size. Unable to come to any agreements, the Roger Ver-led big, block, big blocker camp created Bcash on August the 1st, 2017, dubbing itself the real Bitcoin. And it had a rough patch when a year later, similar tensions led to yet another hard fork in its own camp. Tensions between a Ver-led faction and Craig Wright, Calvin Air-led group, 
led to the creation of BSV, now the 12th by market capitalization after a hard fork. Ironically, the Bitcoin, or rather BSV hard fork, happened on November the 15th, 2018, and now two years later, Bcash prepares itself for yet another contentious hard fork. So, the conflicts leading up to the November 2020 BCH fork are related to Omri Sachet, a BCH developer, ABC node, and the differences in opinion his camp has with the rest of the BCH community. Since its inception, the goal of BCH was to become a global peer-to-peer digital currency for low-cost, high-speed, borderless transactions. This driving philosophy, the B- the Bcash community believes, is in line with Satoshi Nakamoto's vision. It isn't. However, the BCH community is unable to agree on the architectural changes to the blockchain which are in line with this deal. There are a number of implementations active in BCH currently. However, the most popular is Bitcoin ABC, BCHN, and Bitcoin Unlimited. The Bitcoin ABC camp, led by Sachet, is credited with creating the mining node in BCH, which gathered <clears throat> its own fan base and solidified Bcash's place among the top digital currencies in the market. The ABC node is technologically advanced and supports a number of innovative changes, creating the foundational architecture for future improvements. The BCHN camp, led by Roger Ver, is largely responsible for BCH notoriety or fame within the crypto market due to Ver's controversial yet somewhat popular persona. The BCHN node, along with other implementations, are also in favor of technological changes, albeit in a much slower manner. Due to the differences in opinion relating to how quickly or if changes should be made to the Bcash code to support technological advancements like Merklix-based sharding adaptive block size in Mitra, the BCH community is split into two opposing camps. The two main factions are led by Sachet and Ver. So there's Assert versus Grassberg. So let's get into it. The November 2020 update was supposed to be a blockchain-wide update of the BCH difficulty adjustment algorithm to a new algorithm called Assert, A-S-E-R-T. Proposed by developers Jonathan Tuman and Mark Lundberg. However, according to Jay Stodd, a former BCH developer who moved to Avalanche, uh, Sachet announced in August that the ABC implementation would employ an algorithm called Grassberg. The algorithm is set is identical to assert, except that it also fixed a historical drift. Unfortunately, Sachet's move was met with considerable disdain from the BCHN camp. Stodd said that, quote, because Bitcoin ABC did not credit Jonathan Tuman with the new development and because there was no discussion had about Grassberg prior to the announcement, BCHN decided to become ballistic about this move and brought back all of the anti-ABC rhetoric, end quote. Following the uproar after the Grassberg announcement, Sachet returned to the initial assert algorithm slated for the upgrade on November the 15th. However, he added a component that further ignited tensions and escalated the disagreement to a somewhat irreconcilable level, triggering a hard fork. Sachet added a Coinbase rule that dictates that, quote, all newly mined blocks must contain an output assigning 8% of the newly mined coins to a specific address, end quote. This update would mean that miners would receive only 92% of the block reward of the ABC implementation. Additionally, the funds would be sent to an address that, as some worry, might be controlled by Sachet, given his leadership position at ABC. Sachet claimed that, Quote, the November upgrade of Bitcoin ABC software software will have a Coinbase rule that fully aligns the incentives of Bitcoin ABC with sustainability 
and security of the network. The ABC camp believes that aligning the wealth of the development team is essential to the growth of the blockchain. This is because it ensures that the developers will always act in a manner that is best for the blockchain as it will also be in favor of growing their wealth. Additionally, Sachet believes it is important for the developing team to have access to funds that are not beholden to any other authority, which may undermine the security of the blockchain. This practice is not new to the sector and is known as the Infrastructure Funding Plan, or IFP. While there are definite ideological differences between the opposing camps, it is important to note that there are personal differences influencing the split as well. Sachet has had a long-standing conflict with Free Trader, another developer who runs in the same circles. As Stood said, it is likely Sachet is fed up with the dynamic surrounding surrounding BCH. Following Sachet's announcement, the BCH community further fractured along ideological lines. Ver posted a tweet announcing the upcoming fork saying, quote, Bitcoin ABC and Datalnix have announced that they are forking away from Bitcoin Cash on November the 14th. We wish them good luck with their new coin and thank them for the free airdrop of all to all BCH holders, end quote. However, just a day earlier, Ver had stated this, quote, Diverting part of the Bitcoin Cash block reward to pay a single development team is a Soviet-style central planner's dream come true. End quote. Wow. That's... Ooh. <laughs> the differences between those two statements is stark, to say the least. This sentiment encapsulates the prevailing response to the ABC announcement. Additionally, there are valid concerns over the fact that the Coinbase rule was not a discussion, rather a unilateral dis- decision... On the development front or developer front, some support ABC while some argue that Sachet should resign. <laughs> it's an interesting word to use for voluntary development, but whatever. According to Coindance.data, or rather Coin.dance data, out of the 1,250 public nodes on the BCH network, 505 of the nodes use the Bitcoin ABC client, 559 use Bitcoin Unlimited, and only 146 employ BCHN. Despite this, as things stand, it looks like the BCHN camp has the most support and will likely end up with a BCH ticker. The Ver-led BCHN camp has garnered the most support from miners, exchanges, and general community. Binance, Wobi, BTC.top, Hashpipe, P2P Pool, F2 Pool, Easy to Mine, and Bitcoin.com are adding powered by BCHN in the Coinbase parameters of the blocks mined via their platform. So this is their version of, of flagging, I guess. If you are holding Bcash, ensure that your wallet provider uh, or ensure that your wallet provider that you are using supports the fork. If not, transfer your funds into a non-custodial wallet where you hold the private keys, then you'll be able to receive your fork coins. Although you probably don't want to have anything to do with it. Also be mindful that many service providers may halt BCH transactions around the time of the fork. Major hardware, you know, wallet manufacturer Ledger, for example, will halt its Bitcoin Cash services on November the 15th to prevent replay attacks. And then they just go on with uh, what exchange is going to do what, and we don't care. The, that, the reason that I'm giving you this is so that you understand what's going on inside the camp or the, the various camps. Remember, all these people were, again, had linked arms and were singing Kumbaya, and they were shooting the finger at all the maximalists and the quote-unquote small blockers. <clears throat> and here they are just a few short years later, and almost every single one of them, Almost every single one of them are going their own way. 
It's just a, it's a fracture after a fracture after a fracture after a fracture. This is why, this is reason enough to tell people that getting into BCH or God forbid BSV is not a good idea because they cannot hold their communities together. They can't, and they don't, they don't defend their blockchain. They just want their own blockchain. And this whole developer reward is probably going to go to, to Omri Sachet because he's the one that, He's the one that's doing the whole thing. Now, here's the funny part. You look at the fees being generated. You're talking about like, I think in a, like a, on a block, it's like for BCH is something like 150 bucks. I don't know if that's a day or a block, but it's tiny. 8% of that every, you know, every hour. I mean, that's like, dude, people flip burgers for more money than that shit. And it's just going down. So I don't know what Omri hopes to, you know, get out of this, but all, all I know is that the benefactor is always going to be actual Bitcoin, BTC, because as these fractures occur and more and more, the more and more it becomes evident to people like Michael Saylor why you don't screw around with shitcoins. It's just that easy. Now, just to continue on just a little bit more, Samuel Haig has this one for uh, Cointelegraph. 1.5 million Bitcoin cash has been deposited on exchanges as the fork looms. Oh, shit. They are ready to pull the trigger on this freaking goat. Bcash hodlers are scrambling to get their coins into exchanges ahead of the hard fork on November the 15th. Nearly $140 million worth of BCH has flowed onto exchanges in just the past week, bringing November's total up to $300 million. Since the start of the month, more than 1.56 million BCH has moved onto exchanges. As such, BCH inflows to exchanges for the past 12 days have equated to nearly 6.4% of Bcash's entire capitalization and supply. Let's, let's read that again. As such. BCH inflows to exchanges for the past 12 days have equated to nearly 6.4 of Bcash's entire capitalization and supply. Wow. They're just waiting to pull the trigger on that shit. Let's see here. While some onlookers have inferred the sizable inflows to indicate Bitcoin Cash's hodlers are looking to sell before the fork, chain analysis data shows Bcash's trade intensity has largely been flat from late October onwards. Uh, okay, so I think what's going to happen here is that they are th- that people are are on. They've put all their bullshit into exchanges so that they have their fingers on the trigger. I would imagine that they are just ready to not only execute manual trades, but like m- maybe like the hour before the like taking census of what's going on, like listening to Twitter chatter, Telegram chatters, Signal chatters on uh, any, like just literally kind of figuring out whether or not they should put longs, shorts, stops, stop losses, like pro, like their program trading, whether they should pull the button on that, because if they pull the button on that now, it's going to flag uh, intention to the market and they'll get, people are going to end up with slippage. And most time people don't want that. But I guarantee you something is going on as far as the BCH people are concerned and think about how much BCH is actually out there. It's not worth anything. I'm just saying it could be an absolute bloodbath. An absolute bloodbath. So anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup.
Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by Peter Zazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazazaz